Hi, I'm Renee Colbert. And I'm Alexis Preston. And this is An Animal Saved My Life, a podcast about the incredible animals who change our lives forever. Renee, I want to talk about a dark time in our country. Uh-oh. The 1990s. Ah, baggy jeans, polo shirts, clueless quotes. Well, what the 90s didn't have is millions of animal videos at the click of a button. Wait, how did people cry without watching soldiers being reunited with their dogs? I think they didn't cry. But what if they wanted to see a sneezing panda? Or the golden retriever who sits on his sister's head? You just have to close your eyes and imagine them. This is a very dark time, Alexis. I know. That's why I warned you at the beginning. But seriously, it's not just that animal videos weren't all over the internet in the 90s. What we knew about animals was way more limited. A lot of experts thought that animals didn't really have emotions, except for survival instincts. But out of this darkness came a tiny little animal who changed a lot of people's perspectives. One woman's perspective especially. Today's episode is about them. It was an Indian summer night in California, and uh, it was a beautiful night, a big moon shining and warm evening, and you you know, hear tree frogs and things like that. So we set out in the dark with our flashlights and with Ludwig, our beloved German shepherd. There's a mountain, and we were a little bit up the mountain on a winding mountain road. And we were walking along, talking, and trying not to think about all the stress that we had. And we heard this rustling in the bushes. There was a forest where we lived, and it could have been anything. It could have been a porcupine or a, a snake or, you know, God only knew. Ludwig reared up on his hind legs and started barking and yowling and carrying on. And John was pulling him back and trying to restrain him. And some, this little animal came out. And clearly, she didn't know where she was. She didn't know what, know what she was doing. I, I said to John, you know, that animal, that's lost. And we have to do something. We have to help her. John said, oh, do we have to always be the Humane Society? Because the last thing in the world we needed was an extra animal. She would run down the street and then run up each driveway off the road and then ran uh, down into this deep, deep gully off the side of the road. So I took my flashlight and climbed down, uh, you know, hanging onto bushes and things and got to the bottom of the gully, which was covered with oak trees and, and snakes. And this little animal was down there, uh, huddled, just just uh, didn't move, didn't run away, didn't do anything, just like she'd been shot or something. She was curled into a ball, like to defend herself. And so I didn't know what to do. And I, I petted her and tried to befriend her and she just didn't respond. So finally I picked her up and I was holding her against my chest and I could hear her, feel her little heart just pounding. 
She was just trembling with fear. You know, she was expecting me to kill her or do horrible things to her. She didn't resist, she didn't wriggle. She just accepted immediately that I picked her up. And I crawled back up this, this steep uh, incline to get back to the road. And I carried her there to the street and John was, oh God, you know, what are we gonna deal, do here and how, how bad can it be? Kristen von Chrysler and her husband John were at a crossroads when they found this little animal. They had both just quit stable jobs and Kristen was trying to become a freelance writer. They were stressed, but Kristen carried the animal home. And uh, then I set her down on the kitchen floor and we turned on all the lights and looked at her and then we really knew that this poor little animal was just a disaster. She was just a little beagle tan and, and black and white and she had brown ears and huge beautiful brown eyes great big gut-wrenching eyes and this little licorice gumdrop nose but she was skinny as a little rail and and her ribs stuck out and and the most alarming thing about her was that her breasts were br literally brushing when she'd walk across the floor it, 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 pained me to think about her running on the asphalt with her nursing breasts brushing on the, the rough gravel and asphalt. Uh, I looked at her ear. I was petting the, her velvety, velvety, beagles have wonderful velvety ears, and I was petting her ears, and I looked inside, and there was this bald spot and this long, long number tattooed in blue letters. So I told John, look, look, there's a tattoo. We can find out who her people are, and we can get her back. So don't worry, we don't have to keep this dog forever. The next morning, Kristen called the Humane Society. She read out the tattoo number on the beagle's ear. But they had no record of it. They said she could try the American Kennel Club. So I called, and this very uh, abrupt woman said to me, um, that number is from a research lab. And I gasped. And then I said, do you mean that this dog is an experimental animal? And she said, I think so. It surely looks that way. And I said, well, what, am I, what should I do with her? And she said, well, you could give her back. And I thought, there is no way in the world that I'm going to give this sweet little creature back to anybody. And I said, never, never. And she said, well, congratulations, lady. You've got yourself a new dog. So I was stuck. Kristen couldn't imagine who she could get to adopt this traumatized lab beagle. She also didn't know how the dog escaped in the first place. But being a writer, she made up a little story about it in her head. There are a lot of people who come in and out of labs to clean them and to feed the animals. My theory is that somebody with a big heart took her out of the cage and she, I thought it was a woman, that she hugged her and set her down and uh, said, okay, it's up to you now, you know, go to the universe. And, and then we found her. John was more concerned about the dog's origin story. He was a chemical engineer and he knew a bit about research labs. What if they had been testing her with contagious diseases or dangerous chemicals that could hurt them? And he said that often in labs, they cut the, the barker out the voice box so they can't bark and make a lot of noise. So I thought, oh dear, you know, and she, and that's another thing about right from the start, she was absolutely silent. Wow. Never a peep. 
Kristen convinced John that they should at least get the dog checked out by their vet, Andrew, to see if anything was wrong with her. And that was um, absolutely the most disastrous, sorrowful thing I think I ever saw in my life. She, you know, around John, she, she would tremble. She, she clearly didn't think much of men, to put it mildly. But when Andrew walked in in his white lab coat, she literally vibrated. You know how when a fan goes around and around it, and it's so fast that, that you don't see the blades, but you just see this fuzz? Mm-hmm. It was like she was all fuzz. She was, she was trembling from the tip of her nose to the tip of her tail. And then she rolled on her back and urinated, which she ended up doing any time she saw a man. But Beatrice didn't have any diseases. She wasn't radioactive. He guessed she was about five, but he warned Kristen. Lab animals, they don't always make good pets. She might snap at them. She might never want to be touched. They're very insecure and they know nothing about life. And so he said, finally, um, I'll never forget this either. He picked her up from the, the steel table where she was, trembling like I've never seen. And he said three times, she's been used and abused, used and abused, used and abused. And he set her down for the rest of my life. I'll never forget that. So I brought her home, and John came home from work again that night, and, and finally he consented. I have to give him credit for that. He didn't fight it anymore because he promised me that if Andrew didn't find anything wrong, we could keep her. He, at first he called her that dog, <laughs> and then he'd say the poor beast. John wasn't the only one in the household who was less than thrilled about the Beagle's arrival. Kristen says Ludwig was a bully and a tyrant. Ludwig was the most stunning, gorgeous, elegant German shepherd. And he he could show contempt like no dog I've ever seen. And uh, he was very upset that this interloper had come into our house. (laughs) So we had to drag him into the bedroom and close the door. And he was sniffing under the, the crack under the door and wanting to get at this vermin that had come into the house. He looked at that beagle like she was, the, you know, an ant's toenail. I mean, that was his attitude toward her. Uh. After the break, we'll find out what happens to Beatrice and Kristen. I just have to like compliment you in that it seems like everything in the world is screaming like, you know, leave this dog where it is and, you know, yes. your dog's upset, your life is upside down. But you were like, no, nope, I have to keep her. I have to figure oh, this out. I know. I'd never have, have uh, not kept her. Never, never. And my husband, John, was very distressed for quite some time. <laughs> After a couple of weeks, he, his heart, you know, was getting the best of him. And then he, one day he said, uh, have you fed Beatrice? <laughs> and so he, he called her by her name and he started calling her Beatrice. And then he started calling her B. And it was really good because finally we were working together instead of being at odds about her after he began to accept her. Slowly, slowly, we realized what we were up against. And you have to realize that this little animal... She'd never been out of a cage. She was so insecure and so traumatized. Kristen put Beatrice on a strict routine. Mealtimes and walks were timed to a T. 
even sitting on the patio was a scheduled activity. And that seemed to help. That calmed her down a little bit. And then the next thing was to teach her how to live in the world because she knew nothing. You know, just think about introducing a, a Martian to the earth. So I'd take her for walks and so her paws so she'd know what grass felt like and what asphalt and concrete felt like and what gravel felt like and sand felt like. And I tried to get her used to noises. I took her downtown so she could hear people walking on pavement and see legs moving and feet moving. I took her in a car wash so she sat there just being adorable while the windshield wipers went and it was like the education of bee. So this went on for months. She was still, at this point, she was still pretty much a withdrawn dog. I mean, she didn't connect with anybody or anything. You know, it was like living with a, a, a cardboard beagle. There was nothing coming back except uh, fear. She had no idea what love was or what, what affection. She, it just didn't dawn on her. So emotionally, Beatrice was a mess. But physically, she was also a mess. Experimental beagles don't come house-trained, and she could not be bribed with hot dogs. Once she learned about food, she became a, a glutton. And she'd look at me like, you brute, you, you cruel and barbarous person. You're not giving me a hot dog with these big eyes. You know? And I'd say, no bathroom, no hot dog. You know? She did not get the idea. She didn't, it was impossible. And we finally gave up that we're just going to have to live with this beagle forever. And that's the way it's going to have to be. Amidst the endless piles of soiled newspaper, Beatrice had small victories. She was getting used to some parts of normal life. The feeling of grass, the delight of a hot dog, the purpose of a doorway. So then one day, I picked her up and she didn't jump. And I thought, oh, God, this is so fantastic. She's, it's wonderful. So I, I kind of put my arms around her and said, good bee, you know, and petted her and petted her. And then she put her little head against my chest. And her little floodgates of love opened. Just the love poured out of her. And she stayed in my arms like that for a long, long time. And so then I'd pick her up and she'd stay there. We'd watch television together with her in my lap. It was just, she couldn't get enough of being in my lap after that. And it was just beautiful, I have to say. But in some ways, Beatrice was still the cardboard beagle they had found in the gully. She never barked. And her nervous presence still drew looks of contempt from Ludwig. Even after a few years, the two dogs hadn't connected at all. Around this time, Kristen's friend came to visit. At first, Beatrice was really scared of him. And he was the most gentle man I've ever known in my life. So he immediately named her little dog. He would pet her and say, oh, good, you know, you're in tune with the universe. And <laughs> so she looked at him kind of like she started to believe him. And while he was there, he was her first sort of friend besides John and me. I mean, that she would sort of acknowledge existed. And so he and I were sitting out on my uh, balcony one day, and B and Ludwig were out on the patio. I heard this barking of Ludwig, and I thought, oh, he's just barking at his arch foe, the next door neighbor. So he was yapping at him. And then I heard this strange bark that I'd never heard before. 
and he and I ran through the house and looked through the kitchen window. And there B was running up and down, playing with Ludwig on the patio, chasing each other. And so, and she was going yip, 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 very quietly, but barking. And then she raised her head and went this aroo sound that beagles make. Have you ever heard that before? Their, their yeah. howl? Yeah. Aroo. It was, it was like a feast for my ears. I cannot tell you what a joy that was. She and Ludwig became very good friends. Even though Beatrice was making strides, Kristen worried when she had to bring her back to the vet. His lab coat and steel table might remind her of her old life behind bars. The the confidence that I'd tried so hard to instill in her, taking her everywhere and introducing her to everything, I was so proud of her. She didn't shiver. She didn't do anything. She just, it was so beautiful to see the courage that she had which, of course, she'd always had. That's what got her through being an animal in a lab. Yeah. Imagine what that would be like. So she was miraculous. Just a, a valiant beagle. I can't say anything more than that. What a change. What a change. After the break, Kristen's life changes suddenly, and it's Beatrice's turn to help. Stick around. The night that Beatrice showed up, Kristen had just quit her job to become a writer. Ten years later, she'd made a name for herself, and she was writing for big publications. Around that time, she and John went to Washington State for a vacation. So I had to go into this room to change clothes. Uh, So I was sitting down to put on my socks and my shoes. And so there was a a bench there. So I sat on it and the bench crashed with me to this concrete floor. And there is no way to tell you about the pain. Uh, It it was just uh, unbelievable. Kristen had badly injured her back. The bench was supposed to have props under it to hold it up, but whoever had mopped the floor had forgotten to set them back up. This tiny oversight traded Kristen's ambitious career for life in bed. I was lying on the bed for eight months, and I'm the most action-oriented person that ever lived. I couldn't sit for more than a few minutes. I could stand and I could walk, but I couldn't think. The pain was so great that my mind was just completely scrambled. I I didn't see anybody because I was in so much pain. I didn't, uh, you know, I I was in terrible shape and I thought I'd never work again. I I was depressed beyond belief. Finally, I moved into my office because I, I just couldn't stay in bed for the rest of my life. So I would lie there and I would look out at the, at the trees and I did a tremendous amount of thinking, to put it mildly. You know, if I'm going to end up for the whole last half of my life uh, lying here, you know, what's the point? 
And I was very depressed at times, I have to say. And I didn't know if I had any future at all. As Kristen struggled with the immense pain and depression, Beatrice was watching. And she wasn't acting like the distant beagle that Kristen had found 10 years before. When I finally went up to my office, she uh, just glommed on to me. She, she jumped up on the sofa and cuddled up with me. And she was with me, you know, for months. And she wouldn't leave me. She would go out to the bathroom or, or she'd go to the kitchen to eat, but she would come back and stay with me. It was, it was extraordinary. You know, how I, I had put so much effort into her. And I got it back tenfold. And so what she had to give me then was her furry little body and her nuzzling and her little cold nose and her, you know, just, just her presence, just having her there was so wonderful. She was setting this example that, you know, as I was holding her, I thought she's a symbol uh, that it's possible to recover from a horrible setback because there she was, you know, this fabulous, sprightly little dog She'd totally recovered, and also that she, be seemed to hold no malice about anything. And so, she, as you know, dogs only live in the present. So, I thought, well, okay, I, sh- I should try to be like that myself. That anger isn't going to solve anything if I'm mad at the person who knocked the props out from under the this bench. Um, I, you know, it's not going to do me any good. She helped me to think about things. And, and I, I, one of the things I finally came to is what's the meaning of my life? I had been writing articles for national magazines and newspapers, and, and it had, didn't dawn on me yet. I was too busy climbing and achieving and proving, and I forgot my heart somewhere in the process. And I realized lying there that, you know, I built my life on, on shifting sand, that it had no meaning. And what really mattered to me since the day I was born had been animals. I was born on the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi, October 4th. And I'd always loved St. Francis since I was a little girl because he loved animals. And I was so glad I'd been born on that day. But it had never occurred to me to make that a part of my actual career and my life that I could integrate all of that that meant so much to me. And instead of writing about all these subjects that I could care less about, that I could start writing about animals. What I decided, I told Bea, I remember one day actually saying this to her, I'm going to align my heart with my career. And then that's what I did. Kristen was still bedridden and in a lot of pain, but she was slowly recovering from her fall. And as she lay there, she was drafting the pages of a book in her mind. And it was going to be about animals showing kindness, as Bee was showing to me. I called uh, a lot of experts to, to ask them to interview them. And people laughed at me. These professors would say, you know, are you crazy? Animals don't have... One man said, animals don't think. They are just responding to instincts. They don't have any emotions at all. Everything they do is for their own self-interest, but they would never turn it around and say that animals could be kind or compassionate. Once she was well enough to work again, Kristen started research. At the time, when I would look up animal emotions on, online, there would be like a hundred 
citations only, and they'd only be for anger and and uh, fear and selfishness. So I went to library after library and searched through magazines and newspapers and books to find examples of animals helping people. And I was absolutely amazed at the stories that I found, absolutely mm-hmm. stunned. Every kind of animal you can imagine, uh, animals helping animals of a different species, these amazing things. And there was a story of a, of a stray dog in Oakland. Uh, a little girl ran out into the street and a car was coming right at her. And the dog, who didn't even know this little girl, ran out in the street and pushed the little girl off out of the way of the car and the dog could have been killed. Kristen found hundreds of true stories about animals risking their lives to save people. And with them, she made an argument. Animals have feelings. Kristen called her book The Compassion of Animals. And I was so thrilled. I I thought, well, I'm getting my propaganda out (laughs) about the kindness of animals and the way they love. Of course, 20 years later, there are animal psychology departments in universities. Uh, And then now, Thank God for all the, the videos now. It's everywhere showing all these wonderful things that animals do. But in those days, it was just, I mean, it was like the world was starved to hear what I was saying. So just like be with her floodgates opening when she learned to love. It's like the, the world floodgates opened and everybody was seeing all of this all the time. As Kristen poured her heart into this new vocation, and became a best-selling animal writer, Beatrice was by her side. She lived to the ripe age of 20. She turned snow white. Here's a photo of her. Can you see this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was, she was a snow white beagle. So everywhere I'd take her, people would say, oh, she's a little angel. <laughs> yes, this dear dog. If Beatrice could have spoken, what do you think she would have said to you? Um, She would have said, go, go, girl, go. (laughs) (laughs) And she would have said, uh, love, girl, love. And be kind. And that, that I should never, ever, ever forget my heart. And not leave that behind. That's too important. Yeah even though she caused more trouble than any possible creature could. It was worth every minute of it. Her success of becoming a normal dog just raised my spirit more than practically anything I can think of that I've done. And that's what I wanted to know, how proud I was of her and how, uh, how beautiful she became and how I hope to see her again when I cross the Rainbow Bridge, that maybe she'll be there too. That was best-selling author and animal writer, Kristen Von Chrysler. This episode was produced by Nora Kanidis Boydell. Nick Farrago is our managing producer. Story editing by Evan Roberts. Our sound mixer is John Ross. You can learn more about Beatrice's amazing life in Kristen's book, 4B. I'm Alexis Preston. I'm Renee Colvert. 
Thanks for listening to An Animal Saved My Life. Join us next week for another incredible animal story. But wait, Renee? Yes, Alexis, I'm still here. Yes, I, just just one more thing. So Kristen has spent all this time collecting cool animal stories, and I had to ask her what her favorite one was. I mean, of course. All right, so stick around for a minute if you want to hear that. I do want to hear that, and I will be sticking around. Thank, I mean, also just wanted to say thank you for, for sharing all this. Oh, you're welcome. You all are darling. <laughs> do you have any favorite stories um, that other people have sent you? I interviewed this man and he in Arizona, and he had horrible respiratory problems, but he couldn't breathe a lot of the time and was very sick and, and kind of bedridden. So he wanted to have a pet, but he couldn't have anything with feathers or fur because it would make him have asthma and, and cough himself to death. So uh, he got an iguana. So this iguana's name was Goliath, and it was a female. He found out later, but so what? So he still kept her calling, calling her Goliath. <laughs> yes, this iguana just adored him. She wrapped herself around his neck all the time. You know, it was a real bond, not what you would think somebody would have with an iguana. So one night, his wife had an intercom system set up from his bedroom to where she was so she could always hear him and would know if he was in trouble or something was wrong. So he was uh, on his bed starting to sleep, and uh, suddenly he, he couldn't breathe. He, he just, you know, stopped. And Goliath leapt up off of her perch by the bed and leapt onto him and was pounding on him like CPR Goliath style. <laughs> and so she made such a fuss and the wife came running in to see what the problem was. And she called an ambulance and got him to the hospital and saved his life. Join us next week for another incredible animal story.